Major support for Out to Lunch Acadiana is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S. Providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com Support also comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette. From Café Pavilionville in Lafayette, we're out to lunch with Professor of Finance and Director of the award-winning Birkin Road Reports, Peter Rusciutti. It's business, Acadiana style. Hi, I'm Peter Rusciutti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. If you're home right now, maybe you've got some yogurt in the refrigerator. If you're in the car, you might have a pen in the cup holder. Uh, probably one of those free pens you get from a bank or an insurance company or the plumber. And if you're at your desk, more than likely you've got a computer keyboard in front of you. Now all these items have something in common. The keyboard has keys with letters printed on them, the pen has a name and a phone number printed on it, and the yogurt has a pastoral scene and the container's contents printed on it. All this printing is done by specialized printers that transfer ink onto all these various odd-shaped surfaces. One of the methods in this kind of printing is called inkjet, and one of the well-known brands of inkjet printing is Logojet. In 2015, Logojet was named by Inc. Magazine as one of the fastest growing companies in America. Previous companies who have made that list include Pandora, Toys R Us, 7-Eleven. Unlike these other companies, Logojet is right here in Lafayette. Its founder and president is Susan Cox. Susan, welcome out to lunch. Thank you, thanks for having me. I'm glad to have you. Long before anyone had figured out how to put a logo on a plastic yogurt container, people were putting images on flat surfaces like canvas. They used a much slower and more painstaking method, a small brush, uh, coming up with an idea and painting it onto canvas, framing it with wood and selling it. Now that's a business model that stood the test of time. Even though we can print thousands of images an hour or steal them off the internet, we still greatly value original hand-created paintings of artists, especially those whose work records and reflects our unique culture, like the striking and beautiful paintings of Lafayette artist Herb Rowe. Herb, welcomed out to lunch. Thank you for having me. Herb, in, mo in most people's minds, we tend to contrast business with the arts. There's the wound, too tight business people at the one end of the spectrum and the free spirit artists at the other end, but actually, when you decide to walk away from the nine to five and spend all day painting, aren't you in fact doing the exact same thing as an entrepreneurial business person does? It, it seems to me you're taking a massive business risk, starting up what is essentially a one-person manufacturing company. Um, what gave you the business confidence to make the leap? Uh, well, I had worked for someone who does that, uh, okay. who had done that their entire life. I apprenticed to him worked for him for 15 years, so it wasn't that big a leap. I just wasn't working for him anymore. Yeah, you I was just doing the same thing, and it, like you said, it's, um, it's a business, it's a job, and not all artists treat it that way, but a lot of artists also have day jobs, so they're kind ah. of free to not treat art as a business, but when you are a full-time artist, that's, it's more than just a, you know, the, the wishy-washy voodoo calling. Right. I'm right. going to go express myself. You're, you sit down, you know, in the morning and you work all day and you probably put in more hours than most people in the business world and you work weekends and you work nights and 
So you're always constantly doing stuff. That's so. what writers always tell me that uh, mm -hmm. they don't wait for inspiration. They right. Oh no, no, no. You have to. Uh, the same way you know you you hear about writers. You know they sit down and try to do so many uh, word counts or page counts a day, and then they go do their other stuff. But they sit down in the morning, like Stephen King. You know, one of yeah. the most prolific writers ever. He does like a certain uh, page and word count that he sits down every morning and does. And when I get to my studio, I sit down every morning. It doesn't matter if I'm inspired. I've always got five or six things, you know, going <laughs> on. If I'm inspired, great. I'll sit and work on that the whole time. But if not, there's plenty of grunt work that I have to just sit and put the hours in and do it. It doesn't take inspiration to do a lot of that. I've been doing this for 25 years, you know. A lot of it's just rote mechanical skill. You know, well, the, the inspiration is great when you're putting it together, right. but when you're doing something that labor-intensive, you, you sit, amazing. you work, and you work, and you work. Now, Susan, as I alluded to in the introduction, things with words and images printed on them are, are virtually everywhere. Uh, when you start looking around, it seems like everything has words or images printed on it, from the steering wheel of the car to the coffee maker in the kitchen to the supermarket bag. Most of us take all these printed images for granted. When did you start noticing all of this and start thinking, hey, this would be a good business to get into? Well, I've always taken notice of different materials that were printed. They're all different processes. It's not always necessarily one technology that did it all. Um, but I guess it started when I was really young. Um, I was seven years old, and I went to a Kmart, and it was Easter, and you get those large Easter chocolates. Oh, yeah. And they're spelling my name on it. And so already, you know, I get this chocolate, and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this is too beautiful for me to, to eat. And so already I felt a connection with something that was, okay, personalized, something that was written on there. So then as growing up, I'm looking at things, oh, I wonder how they printed that, you know. I wonder if they hand wrote it with <laughs> icing at the time. <laughs> and then as you get older, you get exposed to different technologies, different work. And uh, I've always gravitated to imprintables, in whether it meant something pr that was printed, not with our technology necessarily, even if it was paper, I'm looking at the lines t on it, the, the quality, and so I've always had that, you know, close to my heart. And um, what were you doing, was there uh, a printing device or a business before LogoJet? There were a bunch of different businesses for me. My businesses have just kind of evolved. I started doing uh, telecommunications, failed at that. I started doing importing of transistors and diodes, semiconductors, and then it kind of evolved into promotional products, which is where I found the most fun. I was like, wow, look at all this product. I mean, it was endless. You know, the type of applications, the logos on different products, people would find anything to put their logo on and promote them. So I, and I love sales. And so I was always selling something. Um, but yeah, I think that uh, it, it's, it's just endless. Even if it's not promotional, it's even something that's decorated on your watch. And what is this? Tell me about the, I haven't seen the product. What does it look like, the, the jet itself? It's evolved over the years. It started with a basic Epson printer that was chopped up from printing on paper to do something else. And so it started printing on golf balls. And so that's what we were known for in the beginning. And now, we're, what, what was that, the golf ball? Um, it was just, it was a golf ball printer that I made, But, basically. I mean, you have uh, golfballs.com. That, now, that's your family business, right? That, or uh, no, that's actually how I met my husband, Tom. Uh, I know that you had a yeah. out to lunch with him at one point. And uh, he bought my first, one of my first printer models back in 2005. <laughs> Uh, I made my first machine, and so I called him, and I was from Canada at the time, and you know, I'm thinking, well, who, 
who should purchase my machine? And it prints on golf balls, so I do research on the internet, and golfballs.com showed up as top, <laughs> and I said, I should call this guy and tell him that he, I've got something he needs. That's the best cold <laughs> call story I've ever heard. Yeah, and uh, you, you sold know. sold the uh, piece of equipment, and you, uh, and you married him. Five, five years later, wow. uh, yep. And so, just you know, like we're gonna have to say on the show, we're gonna have to say your results may differ. You know, so <laughs> people don't begin to. They uh, now, how did you just make the machine? I see there was a printer, like a something we'd see, like an Epson. What you start tinkering with it? I didn't personally tinker with it. I was fortunate to connect myself with an engineer that was in South Korea that had done something like that, and so uh, we kind of collaborate together and bring in software, bring in cosmetics of how you want to present the equipment and make a business package that would make sense to sell in the United States, which is much different than it is in, in Asia. Right. You kind of have to cater it to a particular audience. Yeah. Well, how did you, uh, now that, given us one example of where we'd see that printer, but where else would, who else would be buying that from you? Our customers range from all sorts of industries, from sign, promotional, uh, medical, pharmaceutical, um, it could be a watch manufacturer that wants to print on the dials. It could be an industrial manufacturer that prints on gauges and um, construction materials. It could be an artist. You know, we, we had somebody that came to us and she takes, uh, she sells these little ornaments that she actually paints and it takes her three hours to do each one and she got an order for 500 and didn't, <laughs> she was like, that's gonna take me a lifetime to continue painting. And so we said, well, let's scan it and print it with our equipment, and now we're replicating the, the oh. art pieces, for example. So, now, you, And that's a good question. Uh, you have the machine, do you just sell the machine, or do you do the printing? We just sell the machine. We want to make machines, and throughout the years they've gotten bigger, they've uh, improved on ink technology, and so our applications then grow to larger applications, and so um, we, we specialize in producing the equipment, we sell it, we distribute it, and then we also do all the marketing and support here in, in Lafayette. We do all the manufacturing still in South Korea. Oh, wow, that is mm -hmm. terrific. And you know, Herb, I gotta ask, I've never been an artist, and I'm just thinking about this artist business side. Um, I would think, I don't know, the average person might not think of it this way, but I bet it's sort of stressful. I mean, you know you've got to produce something. Uh, not really. No? I mean, um, I've always been lucky enough to have more ideas of stuff that I want to do than time to do them all. So it's not like you, you know, you're sitting there just waiting for inspiration to strike you. But also, it's like, like what you do, you like mass produce lots of stuff, or your clients who use your, your technology do. But my stuff takes me forever to do just one. So it's, you know, it's, it's being able to produce, because they're all you know, handmade, handcrafted, individual. Even when I try to reproduce one, like somebody really likes one, but that's already sold, they're like, I want that one. I'm like, well, it'll be close. It's not going to be identical. Right. And there's, there's, you know, 10, 15 hours a day over several weeks to produce one. There's thousands, of maybe even millions on some of the bigger ones of individual little decisions that you constantly are making. You can never completely duplicate that process again for uh, another work. I mean, you can make it look close. You can tell us why the same artist. Right. It'll be the same image. It'll be, but it won't be identical. So. But that's what's but that's, unique that's about that's it. That's what's great about it, right. 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 Well, and that's, uh, no, that's a part of my, like, my marketing that I do with my clients is um, you're buying a unique thing that's going to be a family heirloom. You take care of this. This technology's been around for 
500, mainly, 600 is it years. Oil? Mostly okay. in oils, yeah. So, you know, this, this technology's been around for five or 600 years. If you take care of it in a certain way, you know, avoid humidity and, and other stuff like that, keep it out of the UV, it can last for hundreds of years. So, you know, you're not just investing in something nice to hang on your wall. You pass it to your kids, their kids, their kids. So, you know, you're buying an heirloom when you buy something like this. Yeah. Um, and is there is there a goal, like how many you need to produce each month? Or uh, I'm thinking no, more like the way Susan um, would be thinking this. Right. <laughs> I produce anywhere from 20 to 40 paintings a year. And I, I do a couple month break in the summer and I still go paint murals for a couple months and visit my daughter in Kentucky. But most of the time I'm just in my studio. And you know, that's some of them are you know little eight by tens, but my bigger stuff is three foot by four foot and you know, really detailed with 30 or 40 figures and yeah. all kinds of stuff. So some of those will spend, you know, I'll be on them for a couple of months. But I try to, to do at least 20 a year and sometimes I'll get up to 40 if I do a bunch of the smaller side and then not so many of the bigger ones. And if you think about but your two businesses, you're, Susan, you've got uh, the facility uh, here in Lafayette but most of your sales are somewhere else, right? I mean, is it it's online or is it? It's everywhere, it's worldwide. We just uh, came back from Australia training a customer. We're just getting ready to go to Thailand to install a printer. Uh, but a lot of it is in the United States though. So, um, you know, we we have a few customers here in Louisiana, uh, but most of them are everywhere else, Chicago, New York, California. So we do a lot of shows okay. uh, that are nationwide, larger print shows to kind of show off the equipment and you know attract buyers who are looking to decorate on something and they're trying to solve a problem. What's the weirdest one you've been given that like uh, in terms of something people wanted to print on? We've done marshmallows. <laughs> Those were kind of interesting wow, and you cool. know with some <laughs> wow. ink. Uh, what kind of ink? Uh, with an edible oh, ink. Oh, I was going to say cuz yeah. these s'mores are going to be really kind of yeah. toxic if they don't uh, Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we have a lot of fun with that. Um <laughs> We've done a lot of different shoes, yeah, and bags. But I guess you know it, it's it's never the same thing that comes right. to right. No matter so how weird it is, you think, don't worry, we can do this. As our society, I mean, your try. field is almost unlimited because we're, we're literally drowning in text every hour of the day in right. modern life. So you can anything you can think of someone we will eventually want to put text on it with sure, the and, technology. Sure, and for the artist side of things, we've seen them evolve into moving away from canvas onto glass, right. onto wood, onto uh, metal, yeah. I aluminum. I have some friends who do a lot of stuff right. on aluminum, and, and I use masonite a lot. Okay. But I do all kinds of stuff. <laughs> and that's one thing that people don't appreciate, that the swelling, the cracking, the material, oh, yeah. and uh, it's yeah, just for them, they think it's just of stuff pain like that. Right. Yeah. on a material, and you've yeah. thought about all that. Well, especially so. with oil paints, because yeah. you, um, the way you mix the oils into the pigments, the way you build your successive layers, because I use a lot of layering and glazing, like Renaissance-style techniques, where you, you do this really detailed underdrawing and underpainting, and then your colors go in translucent glazes, and then you work multiple layers of glazing and scumbling over that to build up your depth and your color and stuff. But you have to add successive layers, the oil, more oil into the paint as you go higher. You have to do it really lean at the bottom and really fat oh. at the top. Because um, if it dries too fast on top and it stays wet under, that can eventually cause surface cracking. So it's very, very technical how you have to do it. Wow. Yeah. All of that kind of went out the window with the Impressionists. With the, the once they started doing like a la prima kind of stuff where you just mix it and put it on the surface and, and that's kind of it. 
but with the, the layer glazing, it's it's you know you're almost doing alchemy. <laughs> it's it's very very you know it's it's kind of like a lot of chemistry. You know you got to think about how things are going to work together. And you are literally there are additives a that you add man. stuff in to, to make it dry more, or dry slower, or to keep it blending more, and you know all kinds of weird stuff like that. Wow. The now, Susan, Herb, I've uh, reached the part of the show where we call your brother-in-law. Okay, now, you're, here it goes. You're at work concentrating on something that really needs to get done when your phone rings. Uh, normally, you'd just let it go to voicemail, but you see it's your brother-in-law. He doesn't usually call unless there's a good reason, like he needs to get bailed out of jail. So, uh, so you pick up the phone. Uh, this time, the conversation is a little different. Uh, Susan, your brother-in-law says he's got a great idea. He's going to sell advertising on the frames of eyeglasses. He's done the research. Over 100 million Americans a day are looking at a person wearing eyeglasses. The average cost of a pair of eyeglasses is around uh, $400. Printing ads on eyeglasses would lower the cost of the frames and be an untapped way to get an advertiser's message out there. You've got the equipment. Your brother-in-law just needs $5,000 for the patent attorney. If you put it up, he'll cut you in. What do you tell him? Oh, that's a tough story. First of all, do you know who my brother-in-law is? No. Because that would... I just want to make sure here. Part. But um, <laughs> so I have customers who actually do exactly what you just said. Really? Yep. And, Ooh, uh, making the whole thing up. Yeah, I was... <laughs> <laughs> it's not that brilliant. No, I'm joking. <laughs> all right, back to our day job. <laughs> but no, but the customers who are doing it, they're having great success because a lot of the times people associate glasses with just a product that they wear and they're not accessorizing it yeah. and making designs and putting logos and everything. And it's now becoming uh, something that's popular now. So I think it's a great idea, first of all. I'm not going to say, hey, listen, that's a dumb idea. Because, you know, sometimes when you're talking to customers and you get your family, you're like, that's really dumb. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I've Are seen a sure lot of really dumb ideas just skyrocket <laughs> and right. go places I never thought, you know, turn people into millionaires. And it's like... <laughs> It's really, I still think it's kind of a dumb idea. Right, I'm glad they didn't like come to me. A lot of people don't. Well, <laughs> and with family, you can do that. You love, you love each right. other, you're going right. to say it, and there's no way to um, make it sound any nicer sometimes. But, uh, but hey, if this is the passion, they've done the research, let's go down the path of have you done this and have you done that. And so I'm all about the exercise, I guess. Right. Let's go down the exercise and make sure you've done all that proper planning and that what is your your, your plan for success? How are you going to get there? What resources do you, do you have? What's your supply chain look like? Because um, you can have one great supplier and one great idea and all of a sudden you hit the ground running and that guy, you can't even get a phone call back. Right. Now what are you going to do? And so uh, I'm more into kind of being more skeptical. So you're not going to give them the money, but you're going to give, this is invaluable <coughs> advice. Right. Well, actually, and as a family, you know, I, I would probably give them the money, but I don't want to be a partner in it. Yeah. I, right. I'd rather, hey. Seen too many of those family work I things. I have. Oh. And my little brothers are all, um, they, my family business is <coughs> kind of like um, cellular phone towers. My little brothers all work in the industry building and maintaining cellular phone towers. Like, and I have, I'm the oldest of seven kids, right? Wow. See Clayton, Aaron, David, Cliff—four of them—and they got about six or eight of our cousins. 
and uh, about 10 of our friends from high school. So it's kind of like this, you know, they travel all over the country. The one, he lives in right side of San Diego now and has his own company there. My other brother in Ohio is his company. A couple of the other brothers and cousins and stuff bounce back and forth between working for him. They're always getting mad about something. Somebody's always fighting. Somebody's it's always not talking. Drama. It's drama, yeah. You're glad. And, you're and every time like, when it, it happens, I'm like, I told you to quit hiring family. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> few things don't hire family mm-hmm. um if or if you're you do you're, you're you just got to kind of realize that. it's right. going to happen exactly yeah. and uh and if you're going to give money don't ever expect it back yeah, ah, yeah. There always you go. consider it alone something and, and like you know be yeah. happy if you get it back but you always consider it alone like well uh, a gift <laughs> gift yeah, yeah gift you know, really a gift like a gift. don't expect yeah it's and funny <laughs> at the university we have a family business forum and i once asked the guy that ran it i said what do you teach them? Is it half accounting, half finance? He goes, no, it's a third accounting, a third finance, third psychiatry. You know, it's something. <laughs> that sounds about right. I know well, with my family, it's been like 20, <laughs> 20, 60. <laughs> I, I do have a brother that works with me, though, and uh, he's been with the company for over 10 years. We're going to keep him? And uh, we are, but I am probably the hardest on him, if anything. Yeah. Oh, I bet. That's yeah. the way well, this that's, is. That's the problem my brothers always have with the brothers. They're always harder on Oh, yeah, that's the brothers, natural. You know, expecting more of them and they mm-hmm. kind of get upset every once in a while you know the, the pressure and stuff and it's that's kind of yeah, oh, i know <laughs> I just, like a couple of them something would happen i'd get a call half an hour later i'd get a call from the other one oh right i'd still be on the phone and the other one's calling me so they call that's me the each one to tell their side of the and and you know kind of complain about the other and it's like as, as soon as i see one of them call me i'm like oh Well, Herb, I'm going to turn it on you now. Herb, your brother-in-law says he's been inspired by your lifestyle and your work, and he's decided to quit his job and pursue a life in art. He's taken the money he's been saving to put his kid through college and decided to invest it in buying an art gallery that's for sale in River Ranch. What do you tell him? Ooh, good luck. You love him (laughs) because Susan just said you loved him. (laughs) Art galleries are a completely different different animal than than being an artist though i mean they're 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 notoriously hard to run they're notoriously hard to operate um most people take them on as a labor love they're, they're almost more like a restaurant you know yeah how many people do you know make money on a restaurant it's usually a labor of love kind of thing you don't go into it expecting to be a billionaire i mean unless you're um you know ray crock right but you know Galleries, it's just a tough business. Yeah, it's a really, really tough business. And the people that I know who are successful at it, you know, you kind of, they're really good salesmen. <laughs> you have to be. To, I mean, because you're not even like, like me when I'm trying to sell my own work. You're trying to sell somebody else's work. And even if you really believe in them, you know, you're pushing product. Well, I was just thinking so, about when you're like, talking um, about. Some people that I deal with in, in New Orleans, they're, you know, really good salesmen. They've been working with them for a year or so now, and they're doing really good stuff for me. But they're... You know, one of them, his day gig is a salesman, and the other one, his former day gig before he retired, was in like a business. So you know, like banking. <laughs> right, right. And, and but they—they're not artists. Know, but them, they've taken this on, and he's doing it as a labor of love. He wants to, his daughter is an artist, so he wants to give you know build a business for her. So he started a gallery, but even he's like, man. It's a, it's rough out here. <laughs> now, Herb, your place is a studi- like a studio in the back and a gallery in the front. Or? Well, uh, it's actually it's a big warehouse, and um, we have a gallery space downstairs, like a communal gallery space. 
and my studio is upstairs in that big part of the building that sticks up in the middle. But then we also have a recording studio in the building. There's a ceramicist, a pottery. Now, why the recording studio? Uh, Are you a musician as well? There. No, no. Um, Chris Stafford has Staffland oh, Studios there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we get you know rotating hundreds of musicians that are out of there a year Jeez. doing all kinds of a couple of Grammy nominated albums have coming out of there in the last couple of years. There's one so great really warehouse. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> we've got you know, a couple of other painters. Robert Dafford, the muralist that I oh, worked yeah. for for a long time, his big mural painting studio is in, in the same building. Um, Rocky Perkins and Brett Shigoi both have space. There's a boudoir photographer. Um, really, Amy Peacock has uh, rents a couple little small studio spaces there for doing her photo shoots. So we have a, a lot of, you know, it's an interesting space right there. And, you know, all of Freetown's kind of becoming like that. Yeah, really interesting. Cool a lot of artists of and musicians and galleries and stuff. So it's nice. Well, Susan, Herb, you represent opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to methods of transferring images from the brush stroke to the laser jet, but your contributions to the local economy and culture are equally valuable. Uh, your individual successes are a great measure of the vast spectrum of what's achievable here in Acadiana. From unique art that couldn't come from anywhere else to one of the country's fastest growing companies whose products can be found all around the world. It's been great to meet both of you. Thanks so much for taking the time to join me for Out to Lunch. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> Enjoy this a lot. They, <laughs> My guests at Out to Lunch today have been fine artist Herb Rowe and Susan Cox, founder and president of LogoJet. You can find out more about Herb's art and Susan Printers by following the links on our websites, krvs.org and itsacadiana.com. Today's show is recorded live over lunch at Cafe Vermilionville in Lafayette. Cafe V is open six days a week for lunch and dinner with a courtyard that sets the scene for fine Louisiana cuisine. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Matthew Ellison is our researcher. Our theme song on Que Monsieur Nice Guy is written by Mitch Foreman and performed by Mitch Foreman and Andre Michaud. Our Acadiana business consultants are Pete Prados from Innovate Acadiana, Zach Barker from The Opportunity Machine, and Dr. Blake Escaday. If you want to know what we look like, and I know you do, uh, you can find photos from this show on our website and Facebook page. The photos were taken today by Gwen O'Quinn. You can get the show as a podcast. You can listen to past shows. You can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites. It's Acadiana.com and krvs.org. Support for Out to Lunch Acadiana comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette, located off Pinhook near Calise Saloon. Wyndham Garden Lafayette offers a complimentary airport shuttle and within a three-mile radius, reaching downtown shopping and local restaurants. Additional support comes from ABiz Magazine and AcadianaBusiness.com, the essential information source for business decision makers throughout the one Acadiana region. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRVS 88.7 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Cafe Vermilionville for more business Acadiana style on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch Acadiana is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker. Established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S. Providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com Support also comes from Wyndham Garden Lafayette.